0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for week six of this 2023-2024 NBA season. Uh, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, whether you've been listening previ- uh, previously or you're brand new to the podcast. Either way, we really appreciate your support, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um as you can tell by my voice, I'm almost fully healed. Uh, if you didn't know, I've been dealing with a little bit of sickness over the last few days, but uh we're so close. We're right there as far as being hundred percent again, but still a little bit of uh, you know, something lingering. But I imagine by next week we'll be uh we'll be fully good. And before we get into today's, you know, meat and potatoes, I suppose, let me just talk about the schedule a little bit. Now, if you're following our social media pages, which I'll get to in a minute, um you'll see that we did post an updated schedule for the next few weeks in December, because as we talked about previously, uh, the plan was to do uh, a few bonus episodes specifically for franchise focus so that we could get not only caught up, but get ahead as far as some days we missed, but then also with a 25 week regular season and 30 NBA teams, one uh, franchise focus per week is not enough. We need some, some bonus episodes. So so we've packed December, uh, or at least the next couple of weeks in December, with some bonus episodes. Uh, next week, for example, along with our Monday, Wednesday, Friday shows, on Tuesday we'll do the focus for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and on Thursday we'll do a focus for the Dallas Mavericks. So a lot of get us uh, ahead a little bit, and then the following week we're already going to be shifting the schedule since we'll do a Tuesday, Wednesday podcast on Monday instead of the normal show. We'll do a in-season tournament wrap up special where we're going to just focus on uh you know the the champion congratulating them uh the tournament games as a whole we'll talk the all tournament teams the tournament mvp all of that stuff get that fully wrapped up uh and uh you know put a nice bow on it i suppose which is appropriate with the uh holiday season and then on Thursday we'll be doing another bonus franchise focus this time for the Detroit Pistons And uh, we should also mention on those normal Friday episodes, we'll also be doing franchise focus as we normally would. So we've got a lot of franchise focus in December. Then the next week uh, on the 18th, we'll have a normal Monday show on the 19th, a Tuesday, we'll have our franchise focus for the Houston Rockets. And then the 20th will be our normal Wednesday podcast, but that will be our last episode before we take our holiday break. Uh, So as we mentioned on those updates as well, we will have, uh, a refined schedule for when we're coming back from the holiday break and, you know, bonus episodes or things of that nature around that same time. uh, Those will be coming soon. And again, you'll be want to, you'll want to be looking out on our social media pages for those updates. And uh, let me go ahead and plug those real quick on Instagram and Facebook. You'll find us at crossover across time, pretty straightforward on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, you'll find a set X over across time. So a little different just due to the character limit. Um, on all three of those, you'll find a link tree that will take you to any of the other pages, but will also take you to the podcast itself. Now you're already listening, but if you're not aware of all the places we're on, uh, we're of course on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and rss.com. So again, we've got a refined updated schedule for you. You can again see it a little more visually on those pages. And uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, and waste no more time. Let's jump right into our our five on five drill and our key news from the uh, from the past couple of days. All right, here we go, and we've got. Three games from Wednesday we're going to focus on, and then two games from Thursday, so a little bit more balanced. Sometimes it feels like we pick all our games from one day, and then we have one from another day, but a little more spread out this time around. And we're starting on Wednesday with the... Uh, Uh, New Orleans Pelicans hosting the Philadelphia 76ers who were without Joel Embiid and uh, definitely a detriment to their efforts in this one. The Pelicans win this game 124 to 114, your final score in New Orleans for the Pelicans who have had uh, a better season, especially the consistency of Zion Williamson has helped them out tremendously. Uh, The Pelicans did lead by as much as 29 points. Uh, kind of late third quarter the Sixers made a bit of a run of it but uh, in the end the Pelicans were able to hold on to that lead looking at the scores for the Sixers again no Embiid so your leaders uh, your leading scorer rather in this one was Tyrese Maxey not a big surprise he's been very steady with that high scoring production in this game 33 points uh, three assists and two steals outside of his production they got 17 points from D'Anthony Melton uh, twelve points from Tobias Harris, and then off the bench they got twelve from Robert Covington and eleven from Patrick Beverly. Not terrible, but definitely you maybe wanted a little more offensive production. Uh, you know, for example, Nicholas Batum only three points, Marcus Morris senior seven points. You know you could have gotten some, you know, a few more points, but again you're hampered by not having Embiid's services. Meanwhile, for the Pelicans, uh, Zion thirty-three points, eight boards, and six assists, three steals as well playing a great brand of basketball there. Uh, They got 20 points from the recently returned CJ McCollum. Great to see him back after that lung injury. Now they got 19 points from Jonas Valanciunas, 16 off the bench from Jordan Hawkins, a rookie that I really like. And then uh, 15 from Brandon Ingram as well. Just a balanced game all around. And as the Pelicans are hopefully getting a little more healthy, you know, they've had some great wins, even without McCollum, you know, they could, uh, they have a good chance to to make good on the the promise and potential of recent seasons. So definitely great to see that for the Pelicans. For the Sixers, it's a tough loss. Again, Embiid absent is a big factor. Um, but you know, you're gonna have to be prepared in a sense, you know. And it's, of course, you expect Embiid to be healthy, or you really certainly hope he is in a playoff atmosphere. But more than that, even when Embiid is healthy and playing. Uh, you know, Maxi stepped up as the co-star, you need that solidified production outside of those two guys. And so I think it's good for, you know, some of these other guys, you know, even if they're veterans, long time uh, NBA, you know, role players or solid rotation guys, it's still good for them to get used to it in the flow of a season, I would think. So uh, again, great win for the Pelicans. Let's go ahead and move on to our second Wednesday game. And we're talking the uh Denver Nuggets. Finally, um, overcoming the houston rockets this time in denver 134 to 124 your final score uh because i believe it had been not one but two losses to the rockets uh in the season it was at least one in recent weeks um but the nuggets really just blew this one out uh for the most part i mean it wasn't completely you know out of houston's reach uh was within 10 points a, a number of times but uh nuggets led by as much as 19 and again they close out the game with the victory uh box scores for the rockets jalen green led them in scoring in this game 26 points nine assists and six rebounds on great shooting percentages you'll love to see that Alperen Sengun, 22 points seven boards and four assists uh very solid game all around they got 15 from drewry smith jr uh, 11 points from Dylan Brooks, and then off the bench, they got 12 points from the uh, the veteran Jeff Green. Meanwhile, for the Nuggets, 32 points, 15 assists, and 10 rebounds, another triple-double for Nikola Jokic. Uh, they got 30 points, a much-needed 30 points from Michael Porter Jr., along with 10 rebounds for him as well. And then returning to the lineup, much uh, very similar to CJ McCollum, and even more so Jamal Murray back sixteen points, six boards, six assists percentages off. But again, it's, you know, he's back in the lineup. That's the important thing. And if the nuggets are going to have a chance to be in the mix to maybe repeat as champions, they're definitely going to need Jamal Murray's, you know, consistent production. So it's great to see him back and not a bad game, especially for, uh, you know, a little bit of an extended absence uh, outside of, Murray, Jokic, and Porter, they got uh, 14 off the bench from Reggie Jackson, 11 points from Justin Holiday, 10 points from Catavius Caldwell-Pope, and then 11 off the bench as well for Christian Brown. So great all-around production. And even with Murray back, there's still some concerns about the Nuggets uh, bench depth in particular. You, of course, like to see Michael Porter Jr. stepping up with a bigger offensive game. I think that would help them as well. But the bench needs to be able to put more points on the board. Reggie Jackson has that capability and has done it a little more in recent weeks. Christian Brown will be good. It's outside of those two guys. You know, that's really where the question is. So otherwise, a great win for Denver. Let's go ahead and move on to our final Wednesday game. And we're talking the... L.A. Clippers going on the road to Sacramento, not too far on the road, but to Sacramento, and they win in Sacramento, 131 to 117. Your final score for the Clippers, who are starting to get some wins together. It's not quite the the losing streak they had. Um, There's still some questions, I suppose, but the Clippers really played well in this game. 25-point lead, their their, uh, largest margin of victory. Uh, Didn't win by quite that much, but still a great uh, wire-to-wire win, I suppose. Uh, looking at things for the, the Kings, they were led by De'Aaron Fox, 40 points, five boards, three assists. I mean, he was really doing what he could to carry this team to a victory. Outside of his production, they got 15 points off the bench from Malik Monk, 13 off the bench from Sasha vasenkov and 11 from Damanis Sabonis. And, uh, I mean, outside of Fox, your other s- starters, no one can score more than 11 that's definitely going to hurt your chances as a team. They didn't shoot that terribly uh, 46% from the floor, but Damana Sabonis, 25% from the floor. Um, You'd you'd probably need a little more, you know, but uh, he's still a great player. Nonetheless, meanwhile, for the Clippers, all five starters uh, scored in double figures led by Kawhi Leonard, 34 points, nine boards and three assists defensively. Also got two blocks and a steal. The all round game really showing off there. James Harden, 26 points, six assists, three rebounds. But how about five steals for Harden? That defensive ability, uh, not something we necessarily think of him for. Uh, You know, I just remembered the whole, it was a Foot Locker commercial, I think, where he's defensive. You call me defensive? Uh, But I digress. Paul George, 19 points, seven assists. Then he got 18 points from Terrence Mann, and then 14 points, eight boards, and three blocks for Viza Zubats. That's a great all-around game for the Clippers, even with Westbrook only getting nine points and eight assists. He's kind of accepting that bench role, the lead guard off the bench for the second unit. Tice has come in to help stabilize the, the back – you know, the, the front court of the bench with Mason Plumley injured. So there's things to like for the Clippers there. I think it's a great win against the Kings team that uh, is just not quite as consistent as I would like to see, but otherwise a, g- a great win for the Clippers. That's it for our Wednesday games. Let's go ahead and jump to the first of our two Thursday games. And we're going to start with the uh, New York Knicks winning at home against the Detroit Pistons, 118 to 112, your final score here uh, as It was a pretty competitive game, especially back in fourth, third quarter. In the whole, there was nine lead changes in this game. But, uh, you know, the Knicks come out on top. We expect them to win this type of game. They're the better team of these two teams. Uh, Looking at the box scores, we'll start with the Knicks actually first. 42 points for Jalen Brunson one of his best games of the season by far. He also got eight assists and six rebounds, Uh seven of 12 from three-point range, really knocking it down from the three-point arc. And then Julius Randle, 29 points, 10 boards, eight assists. Uh I mean, shooting 50, percent from the floor. And when you're two all-star caliber guys, of course, Brunson hasn't been an all-star yet, but when those two guys or two stars have stellar games, you don't need a ton of other production sometimes. I mean, they got 15 from R.J. Barrett, and then off the bench they got 12 from Dante DiVincenzo, uh, all of those on three-pointers, four of eight from three. Sometimes that's all you need, you know, and they didn't go too deep in the bench, and they were able to get the win. Meanwhile, for the Pistons, Cade Cunningham still has, you know, he's shown some some solid play, 31 points and eight assists in this game. Uh, they got 23 points from Killian Hayes. 10 points, 12 boards from Jalen Duran, And then off the bench, Marcus Sasser, the rookie, 17 points. So, again, there's things for Detroit. I mean, of course, we know they have the young talent and they have guys that are just continuing to grow. Cade Cunningham, in particular, Jalen Duran has had nice moments this season. But they lose again, and that's really why I wanted to talk about this. And I don't mean to belabor the point because we went on about it a little more in depth on a previous episode. They're not alone. The San Antonio Spurs have a 14-game losing streak, and maybe we should have gone a little more in detail in them. But the Pistons have a 16-game losing streak. They started the season two and one, you know, the first handful of games. So it looked like you know, Cade Cunningham back and improved after missing most of last season with injury. They add, you know, more young talent. Looked like it was going to be a chance with the new head coach and Monty Williams. To grow and at least be more competitive, even if they weren't in the play-in mix, you know they they win more games than last season. That's still growth, but then this losing streak, and I'm not sure what you pin it on exactly. You know, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of Detroit Pistons games. Um, I'm not aware of the the scheme or the the intricacies of those certain aspects. You know, I, I've heard from you know social media people or at least fans of the pistons on social media that they're not a big fan of Killian Hayes playing instead of uh Jaden Ivy in this game Jaden Ivy 12 minutes in this and he was a a nice rookie for them last season so outside perspective that does seem a little bit confusing um you know the the abundance of guards in a sense for me always felt a little odd you know, after uh, Jaden Ivey drafted last year and Cade Cunningham the season before that, this most recent draft they pick up Asar Thompson, who is another guard. Which, you know, there's the argument you pick the best player available, but then also you know, if you have too many guards, maybe you don't know exactly what to do with that. But then Thompson's playing more of a small forward type thing, and he's just returning from injury as well, so that should ta- be taken into consideration. And speaking of injury. You know they've they've been dealing with that. That should not be discounted. Now they've got a lot of guys back from injury, but they still have uh, they're without Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, and Monte Morris, who would likely be a starter or uh, a key bench guy alongside Katie Cunningham. You know he's out for another while. I mean another probably couple of months, and then Bogdanovic no immediate time for return. Wiseman didn't play in this game. There's just a lot of questions for the Pistons. And I don't want to go too much more into it than that, but it's really interesting. And uh, I am excited for when the Pistons finally win. And I feel bad in the sense that maybe when we talk about it, it's almost condescending of like, hey, you won a game, you know, but it's you win one and maybe that can break something and you can start to string some wins together. And I'm not saying they, you know, get back to, you know a play-in mix or even anywhere close to that, but you need you just need to figure out how to win games to to be a, a good team in the future, you know. Yeah. And they've been in the rebuild for a few years now. You know, it's not really time to panic yet, but uh they would like to see some growth. And uh it's just tough to lose that many games in a row, especially with a team that you thought was going to be improved. But otherwise you know, New York, nice win. Uh The Knicks especially have had some some promise there. team that's kind of looking to make their own steps forward. And again, Brunson, you like to see a little bit more consistency from his scoring, but a great game for him and a great win for the Knicks. Okay, we ran it about the Pistons a little bit. Let's go ahead and move on to our final Thursday game. We're going to po- talk about the uh Central Division showdown. And the overtime win for the underdog Chicago Bulls, they win this game against the Milwaukee Bucks, 120 to 113 Your final score. Um, big win for Chicago. And especially against a team like Milwaukee, that's vying to be one of the top teams in the NBA, let alone the Eastern conference, 15 lead changes in this one overall. And Chicago actually looked like they would win this in regulation. But, uh, 10 plus point lead you know midway through the fourth quarter then Milwaukee fights back to make sure that they at least have a chance in overtime but then Chicago persistent at home able to come out on top in this one for Milwaukee led by you guessed it Giannis Antetokounmpo 26 points 14 boards five assists five blocks and two steals monster game for Giannis 64 percent from the floor overall not much more he could do there Damian Lillard 18 points, 13 assists, uh, struggled a bit from the floor, one of six from three-point range, uh, but still affecting the game positively, although he did have seven turnovers. Uh, Giannis with five turn- five turnovers as well, definitely rough. Uh, Brook Lopez, 20 points, four rebounds, and he was six of 10 from three-point range. He continues to be exceedingly excellent as a, uh, a stretch five. And then they got 19 points from Leak Beasley, five of 15 from the three-point line, I mean, not terrible for the Bucs, but for Chicago, they were really locked in. Nikola Vucevic in particular, 29 points, 10 rebounds, six assists for him in the game. Uh, two of four from three-point range, 52% from the floor. Uh, that's one of his best games this season, certainly. We got 23 points, seven assists from Kobe White, uh, 14 points from Ayuda Somu, 12 points for Patrick Williams, 11 points for Alec Caruso and then off the bench Javon Carter with 11 also off the bench Torrey Craig 10 points Andre Drummond 10 points Drummond with 14 rebounds Torrey Craig with eight rebounds I mean just a lot of production and note that nowhere in that did we mention uh, Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan because they were both out Uh, Zach Levine going to be missing a little bit of time with an injury we'll talk about that in the news but uh that's a, a very impressive win against a, a more healthy Bucs squad without your two best players, arguably. Uh, I mean, Vucevic, you'd probably say DeRozan and Levine are better than Vucevic, but it's, it's closer than you would think. And that's a great win for the Bulls, especially for a team that isn't winning as many games as they would like, especially this season compared to previous years and the players they have. Of course, they've been without Lonzo Ball, but they have guards that can fill that void they have a lot of guards uh and a great win for them so congratulations to bulls for that one and that takes care of our five on five drill before we get to that news item let's real quick run through the remaining games who didn't have a chance to go more in depth on starting with the uh, orlando magic winning at home against the washington wizards 139 to 120 or final score franz wagner 31 points and then of course there was also the Uh, Jalen Suggs to Cole Anthony lob where they recreated the Dwayne Wade, LeBron James lob where Wade kind of has his arms out like an entertainer. Um, They recreated that. I thought that was fun. And especially for a magic team that's winning, you know, that's, that's good for them to see that Uh, Wednesday. Also the, Los Angeles Lakers won in Detroit against those Pistons 133 to 107 your final score Anthony Davis 28 points and 16 rebounds in that game. Uh the Toronto Raptors won at home against the Phoenix Suns 112 to 105 your final score with Durant scoring 30. Uh the and then the Memphis Grizzlies winning at home against the Utah Jazz 105 to 91 your final score. Uh yeah, tough loss for the Jazz to a Memphis team that you would hope they would be able to beat. Uh, and then jump into Thursday's games, the Portland Trailblazers won a nice game in Cleveland against the Cavaliers, 103 to 95, your final. Uh, Shaden Sharp, 29 points and 10 rebounds. He continues to exceed, I feel, expectations for a team that doesn't really get talked about. And Sharp's been a nice player this year. Um, the Miami Heat won at home against the Indiana Pacers. This would have been maybe our sixth game if we wanted to talk about it. But, um, Yeah, 142 to 132, your final score in Miami. Tyrese Halliburton, 44 points and 10 assists against Jimmy Butler's 36 points and 11 rebounds. Two stars going at it, and Miami is picking up a little more momentum in in recent weeks. Um, And uh, the Pacers are still a a quality team, and Tyrese has been great this year. Um, But I'll leave it at that. We've been talking about him a lot in recent weeks. Uh, The Charlotte Hornets won a close game in Brooklyn against the Nets, 129 to 128, your final score, one point margin of victory. Terry Rozier, 37 points and 13 assists, picking up for the missing production of LaMelo Ball. And again, we wish LaMelo the best in recovering from that, uh, that ankle injury. The Atlanta Hawks won in San Antonio against the Spurs, 137 to 135. Again, prolonging the Spurs' losing streak. Trey Young, 45 points and 14 assists. Uh... Against Jeremy Sohan, who had 33 points, eight boards, and six assists as San Antonio's point guard. Uh, You know, I definitely want to talk at some point more about the Spurs and see if I can analyze a little bit the Sohan at point guard thing because I didn't see, I don't think anyone really saw it coming. Uh, Maybe those more familiar with the Spurs and his game did, but uh, it's been interesting to say the least. Uh, The Oklahoma City Thunder won at home against the Los Angeles Lakers, 133 to 110, your final. Anthony Davis, 31 points, 14 boards against Shea just Alexander's, 33 points and seven assists. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves won at home against the Utah Jazz, 101 to 90, your final score. Carl Anthony Towns, 32 points and 11 rebounds. And then your final Thursday game, the Golden State Warriors winning at home against the Los Angeles Clippers, 120 to 114, with Steph Curry scoring 26 points eight assists, and seven rebounds for Curry as well. And uh, that takes care of the rest of our games from the last couple of days. And then we're just going to breeze through the key because there's really only one item. We mentioned it uh, for the Bulls. Zach Levine is expected to miss one week with a sore right foot. So definitely good that it's only one week. Uh, nevertheless, we're going to wish him a speedy recovery from that. And uh, that being said, staying on the subject of the Bulls, let's go ahead and shift into – our franchise focus for today, in which we'll be talking about uh, who else but the Chicago Bulls. Franchise focus. Okay, I already kind of got us started with the talk of the current Bulls roster. Of course, if you're not familiar with franchise focus, we look at each franchise in the NBA in three aspects. We talk about the current team, their current players, the direction, the outlook going forward. And then we talk about two different historic aspects. We talk about a team from their franchise's history that's interesting, noteworthy, uh, great, uh, or any other reason that we think it's worth talking about. And then we also talk about one of the franchise's great players. Um, but we're starting with the current team. And again, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, your two stars, along with Nikola Vucevic. And their production's been good. I mean, Levine and DeRozan, 20-plus points. Uh, Levine with you know five boards, three and a half assists. DeRozan with more assists than rebounds. That's kind of reverse. I would more, normally think Levine would have more assists and DeRozan would have more rebounds. Uh, but otherwise you know, decent production for those guys. Uh the percentages, DeMar DeRozan's actually shooting better uh from 3 than Zach Levine is. Uh again, it's early, but no, uh, and then Nikola Vucevic, 16 points, 10 boards, 3 assists. There's not really much to complain about except for the fact that maybe that production is down and of course, some of those guys are getting older, Vucevic and DeRozan in particular. I mean, Vucevic is, uh, well, DeRozan is 34 years old. Vucevic is 33 years old. Uh, If they're not on the decline, they're at the tail end of their primes. Still productive, but, you know, that's really the concern, and we talked about it last year with our franchise focus for the Chicago Bulls. You know, you're building around guys that are getting a little bit older, and neither of those guys are quite all NBA, you know, And I think if you're you have your stars picked your two or three guys, if you want to be contending, you've got to be all NBA conversation. At least one of those guys has to be the Nuggets. Of course, Jokic is is all world. I mean, he's fantastic. Jamal Murray hasn't been named even an all star yet, but he's been an all star caliber player, especially in the playoffs. So those two guys have been great. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. Um, before that with the Golden State Warriors, of course, Curry, the greatest point guard in the game right now. And then you have, you know, Draymond Green who has the unique defensive impact. And then they had Andrew Wiggins who was emerging as a, an all-star type player, um, or had one of his best seasons. So you've got to have someone, at least one player, if not two or more that are emerged and are in the conversation for top 10, top 15 players in the game and Levine and DeRozan are fantastic players, they're all-stars, and when DeRozan first got to Chicago, the stretch run they had in the first few months, DeRozan was playing almost at that level, but that hasn't been quite the same in the last year or two, and that's really the concern. Outside of that, they've got Kobe White, who's starting at point guard. He's doing fine. 14 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds. Not much to complain about there, but, you know, you know, maybe hope for more, but he's doing all right. Uh, Patrick Williams, who started half the games he's played, eight points, four boards, okay ish. And then Caruso, you know, one of the you know, bright spots in the in terms of the production that he brings for his, um, you know, his flash as a player. He's not always the most flashy in terms of crossing over guys. I mean, he'll get some poster dunks occasionally, but he's a a a real glue guy and a you know he brings an impact that you really love any team would love to have a guy like an alex caruso but outside of that there's just not as much as you'd like to see the roster and especially the the bench just it feels like it's almost getting slightly weaker with every giving you know every coming year and so now we're at the point where it's been in the in recent years as well but especially so there's heavy rumors and talk of Levine and or DeRozan getting shipped off. You know, who's going to try and make a deal for them to improve their roster in terms of a playoff push, you know, with Levine and DeRozan, both the uh, Lakers are brought up as, you know, is the case with a lot of stars because the Lakers are always being talked about in the conversation. Um, You know, I, I, that's the main one I've seen. Uh, but I'm sure there's, you know, dozens of other teams that are in the mix. You know, are they going to try and get this guy? They're going to have to be, it's going to have to be a team that's, you know, established, that's in the contending group that needs to add firepower. Um, and it's going to have to be some sort of, you know, draft picks or something because you wouldn't want to give up too much bench to make the, the move a point. But, uh, that I think is kind of the situation for the bulls and they're just hanging on that. If that kind of move happens, let's say it's both. Let's say Levine and DeRozan both get shipped off. They get uh, a ton of draft picks. That's where you can fully let it go, you know, and that sounds negative and I don't mean to be uh, rude in that sense, but the bulls, as we've talked about the big issues, is they feel like they're in this weird middle ground where they have players that could put them in a, you know, a seventh, eighth seed in the playoffs, or they could win a play in tournament to make the playoffs. And they get there and they lose in a a five or six game series in the first round. And it's like, well, what are you accomplishing? You know, if you're just doing that year after year and your guys are getting older and you're clinging on to the playoffs, it's good to make the playoffs, but you want to be progressing every year. And so I think that that's been going on for a while if the bulls could you know sever ties it's going to sting for a, a few years or whatever with the the rebuild that would follow but you would set your team up for the chance to be uh you know a real powerhouse in the east with acquiring young talent that develops into all-stars and all nba players and then you can build a, a solid bench and maybe have chance to evaluate the coaching spot maybe you you make a move there or you have a a chance for a coach to get a new group and reinvent himself and the team so i think that is that would be the best thing for the bulls if that happened and again the rumors say that that's probably going to happen or has a good chance of happening so that's where we're at we're just waiting for the dominoes to fall i suppose and that is the state of the chicago bulls at this current moment Uh, but otherwise that takes care of The current team, as we're looking at them, let's go ahead and shift focus to the historic team. And I wanted to talk about a unique team that was just before a star player arrived. Of course, Derrick Rose was drafted in the 08 draft, but in the 2006-2007 season, the Chicago Bulls had a a fun roster, and they were able to win 49 games with 33 losses. They were third in their division, and they got to the playoffs and won a first-round series against Dwayne Wade's Miami heat. Now the heat did have a, a lesser record. And at that point, Wade was uh, teamed up with a, an aging shack who actually was traded mid season. So he wasn't even there for the playoff run uh, during the playoffs. Well, no, I misspoke. I apologize. He only, he just played half the games. So I was thinking this was the year that he got traded because he played 40 games but looked like maybe he was out with, you know, injuries and whatnot. During the playoffs, Shaq was averaging about 19 points, eight rebounds. Dwayne Wade, 23 points, six assists, five boards. Outside of that, you have, you know, Jason Williams, Udonis Haslam, a young Udonis Haslam. Uh, so it was the the end of that 06 championship team before Shaq was traded off and Wade was without really the co-stars until lebron arrived in 2010 but besides that point um the bulls beat that team in a sweep in the first round as the uh the home you know home court advantage team and then they lost a conference semifinal series uh 2 games to 4 to the very potent uh 2000s detroit pistons who would then go on to lose in the conference finals to the cleveland cavaliers helmed by a young lebron james but again besides the point this bulls team was a fun roster at least in my mind started with uh luau about 19 points and seven boards um but the leading scorer actually was ben gordon we think of him more as a sixth man but he was a little more of a starting uh starting shooting guard at this time um and he averaged 21 points in the uh the regular season and he shot 41 percent from three-point range so a touch ahead of his ahead of time ahead of schedule if you will Kirk Heinrich, your starting point guard, sixteen points, six assists, uh, University of Kansas legend. There, Ben Wallace on the team, uh, ten, nearly eleven boards, two blocks, one and a half steals. His defensive impact and unique abilities. And then uh, that's that fifth guy, a mix. You know, PJ Brown probably played the more more of those games. Uh, six boards or, or six points, five boards rather. And then you had guys like Andres Nocioni and Chris Duhan in reserve roles, Tyrus Thomas, a young Tyrus Thomas, Tabo Cephalosha, Adrian Griffin. It's a fun mix. Nocioni in particular, is a fun guy to have coming off the bench. Uh, Duhan, a Duke point guard, uh, Thomas Cephalosha. It's just a fun team. I like the mix here. And, you know, it feels like it was a, a fun interim period between. The, the bad Bulls teams of the early 2000s and the top of the Eastern Conference mix Bulls teams that you got in the early 2010s with Derrick Rose. This is before Rose. This was a team that, that was the best they were up to that point, making the playoffs and winning a, a playoff series. The following year, they inverted their record at 33 and 49. Uh, Scott Skiles, the head coach, was fired midseason. Uh, they had three different head coaches. And then after that was when they were able to draft, uh, Derek Rose and, you know, most people know the story from there, but again, a fun team, there's not much more I can really add. I mean, Ben Gordon in particular, it gets kind of forgotten. And I think some of that was just, you know, as he started to get more recognition, you know, he got a big contract, went to a different team and the production dipped. And we see that more often than you would think in the NBA, um, I mean, 07 to 09 for the Bulls, those three seasons, uh, regardless if it was six-man role or starting role, he averaged 20 points a game on, again, 41% shooting from the three-point range and 87% from the free throw line. I mean, that's great offensive production, and it would be interesting to see what if Ben Gordon stayed with the Bulls, and again, regardless if he was a starter or a six-man, if he was added to that that 2011 team of course they started uh keith bogans shooting guard and then off the bench was kyle corver you know you wouldn't want to hamper the the minutes of a kyle corver but let's say corver becomes a starter and you have um you know ben gordon coming off the bench and you add that six man scoring to a defensive focused team who knows what the ceiling is for that 2011 bulls roster um with dang and rose and noah but uh you know otherwise just just a fun one to to kind of linger on and again this was even before they got joakim noah uh or or taj gibson or any of those guys so it was the very beginning of those great great bulls teams of the early 2010s and uh that's it i suppose for our historic team let's go to a player that i have a little more to talk about one of my favorites and uh, he comes from my favorite era. And we're talking about artist Gilmore, the A train, the seven 240 pound center, a lefty. And uh, you know, he's just fantastic. He was born in Shipley, Florida, Florida. Um, and growing up, he was six, uh, five by the age of 15. He, as a kid was a big football fan. He wanted to play football really badly, but requirement to play football in that particular uh school or or you know situation was uh a, a certain type of insurance and uh, his family couldn't afford that so he played basketball instead and especially with that height hard to hard to not play basketball but of course he f- he flourished not just because he was tall but of course he was uh, he ended up you know working on his craft and developing the skills Um, He was a 6'10", third-team All-American by the time he graduated from uh, Carver High School in in Alabama, Dothan, Alabama. Uh, So from there, he actually started at a junior college, Gardner-Webb Junior College in uh, Bowling Springs, North Carolina, uh, from 67 to 69. So I believe uh, two collegiate seasons led his team to the uh, junior college tournament. And... Uh, averaged 22 points and 16 rebounds in those two seasons. He was a seven foot, he was seven two, even at junior college level. And especially after that production, it's like, okay, he's got to be at the you know full on collegiate level at this point. So he transferred to Jacksonville University, not the uh top tier program, not your Kentucky's or your North Carolinas, but still, you know, a full on collegiate program. The Jacksonville Dolphins and in that 69 to 70 season his junior season uh led them to a 27 and 2 record and uh powered them all the way to the championship game against the powerhouse UCLA Bruins uh and they lost that game 80 to 69 still a competitive game um as a side note i want to double check who the center was on that team i want to say it was probably bill walton um knowing that Kareem Abdul Jabbar would have been in the NBA at this point. Uh, No, it was the the tweener between Bill Walton and uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And that was Sidney Wicks, uh, another great pro in his own right. Not quite as great as those other guys, but still. And they also had Henry Bibby and uh, Curtis Rowe, you know, a couple other future NBA pros, but, you know, still a great run, especially for Jacksonville University. In his uh, career uh, in the NCAA, he averaged uh, 24.3 points per game and 22.7 rebounds. That rebounding average, still the highest in uh, Division One history. So storied collegiate career already. Of course, he comes into professional basketball at a time when there is a rival league, the ABA, and I love the ABA. He signed on with the ABA and a small note in the NBA when that happened the Chicago Bulls actually used a seventh round draft pick to make sure they had future rights to Gilmore, even though he was going to the ABA because the expectation was at some point the leagues would merge or ABA would fold and those players would move to the NBA Uh, in the ABA. He was, I mean, standout in his rookie season. He was rookie of the year, but he was also the league's most valuable player. And both of those were one over a rookie for the Virginia Squires by the name of Julius Irving. So that's pretty phenomenal. Of course, he went to the team that could afford him, the Kentucky Colonels, who happen to be stacked already with Dan Issel and Louis Dampier, two of the best in that league. So they add a guy who became the MVP. And uh, not surprising, that team won 68 games, only 16 losses, Um I mean, they were just a powerhouse. They won an ABA championship and, uh, you know, he was all ABA first team and an all-star every season that he played. He was all defensive team. Uh, He was the all-star game MVP in 1974. I mean, there's not much that Artis Gilmore did not accomplish in the ABA, uh, just a, a powerhouse. So in 1976, of course, the ABA merges with the NBA. The Colonel's are not one of the teams that joined. So his rights are up for grabs. And in that dispersal draft, the Bulls choose him first overall. So they drafted him twice. They definitely earned his draft rights and uh, signed him to a lucrative deal at that time, 1.1 million over three years, a little bit of a different time. But uh, I mean, with the Bulls, he was still great. Of course, the production wasn't quite as uh, statistically amazing as it was in uh, the aba in his five seasons in the nba or the aba he averaged 22 points and 17 rebounds a game along with three and a half blocks in the nba let's take his first uh let's go first seven seasons in the nba not quite that high but still great i mean 20 points a game 11 and a half rebounds and 2.2 blocks per game not again not the statistical marvel that he had in the aba but still dominant and especially those first three seasons in the nba 22 points per game and 13 rebounds with that same blocks number so he was still very dominant in the nba and he played for uh six seasons with the chicago bulls six full seasons he was a four-time all-star and uh you know for those bulls teams it's interesting because he came to the bulls right after a time where they were a very good team. I mean, throughout the, the first half of the seventies, I mean, they were one of the top teams in the West. They were vying for, for finals appearances. They made the conference finals twice in 74 and 75. And then immediately after that in 76, they had a big drop off. And so him coming in, he was able to give them a big bolster and make sure they remained a competitive team throughout his whole tenure, even if they only made the playoffs twice in 77 and 81. Um, But, you know, it's worth looking at the rosters in those years as well. I mean, you had Gilmore, you had a young Reggie Theus, um, but oftentimes they were dealing with rosters that were not as potent as even those early seventies teams. And so in 82, He was traded to the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, What was the trade package? Dave Corzine, Mark Olberding, and Cash Considerations. Teamed up with George Gervin, and uh, they were a consistent uh, playoff team in the West in the early to mid-80s. And uh, his play, again, was dipping as he got older, but he was still productive for those five seasons. After that, he rejoined the Bulls for another 24 games in the 1988 season before, uh, moving on to the Boston Celtics and playing some, some reserve minutes in their playoff run in 1988 to close out his career. And what, what a career it was. Um, again, four all-star, uh, appearances in Chicago, um, uh, great averages, um, six total all-star games in the NBA, along with his all-star appearances in the ABA. Um, at the time of his retirement he was the nba's career leader in field goal percentage 59.9% and he's certainly in the top 3 or 4 still i say i want to say at one point uh, deandre jordan had overtaken that stat but still a phenomenal career an underrated career um he also had a uh, he was a leader for the bulls in some sort of category Wanted to see if I could find that. And also a note in the 89 season, he played uh, a season of European ball. He played in the Italian league for a Remo Bologna, uh, Bologna, excuse me. Let me see if I can pronounce and not sound totally uh, uncultured. His uh, career best 67% uh, field goal percentage was the third highest percentage at that time in NBA history. Um Yeah, let me see if I can find franchise leaders for the Chicago Bulls career leaders. I'm sure he's still number one in one or two categories. Yeah, he's number one in the Bulls for the Bulls still in blocks. That's what it was. 1,029 career blocks. Second is Michael Jordan. Third is Joe Kim Noah. Uh, Jordan with 828. So by far the career leader for the Bulls in blocks. Uh, I'm sure in, uh, let's see, career... Field goal percentage up 587. Uh, highest second is Orlando Woolridge 532. So, still a standout in the books, you know. Also, leader in blocks per game average for a career 2.1, just over Pau Gasol's 2.0. Um, you know, just a great career for the Bulls again, stabilized the franchise when they could have been very bad. Which you look back at it, maybe if they didn't have Artis Gilmore, they would have been more in a lottery position to get. Uh, stars are a little bit younger but still a great career you can't knock that too much um, one of the great personalities of the NBA um, thinking back to the ABA stuff there's a great clip of him being you know it was a press conference either after he was drafted the, to the ABA or signed with the ABA's uh, Kentucky Colonels and they ask him about why why the ABA what what drew you to that versus the NBA and I'm you know, 70% sure he's joking when he says this, but he's like, well, I like the basketball. Uh, if you don't know the ABA was famed for its red, white, and blue basketball compared to the NBA that had the standard, you know, leather, all the same color, kind of, you know, orangeish Brown basketball. So he said, Oh, I, I like the basketball. you know, And that's, that was his reason apparently. But again, I'm pretty sure he was joking. Um, outside of his basketball career, he, uh, has served in, especially at Jacksonville university. He's been very involved there. Uh, At one point was a special assistant to the president of the university. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he also provides color commentary for the radio on the the radio for Jacksonville's uh, basketball games at the very least, if not, you know, maybe more than that, as far as their sports go. And of course he's been inducted in all sorts of hall of fames um, stars, hollow university hall of fame, uh, Gardner Webb athletics hall of fame. Um, the, of course the, the basketball hall of fame, but that was not until 2011, which is surprising. And then the Alabama sports hall of fame, uh, in 2012. So just a great career again, one of my favorites. Uh, if you've never seen Artis Gilmore, I mean, of course the 72 240 he was a, a man of great stature, but then he had the big fro and the beard and oftentimes wore the chains you know, very much that '70s aesthetic, which I loved, and alongside that, a great player. So, not really much more I can add to that. But one of my favorites, Artis Gilmore, and that takes care of our franchise focus for today. With that, let's go ahead and uh, and shift focus. Let's move to our Fantasy Fridays segment. Uh, a much shorter segment, but a great one nonetheless. Okay, I'm going to keep this real quick. Um and again, this continuing I feel like I'm getting a little better maybe as far as identifying, you know, players to keep, you know, keep an eye on with the fantasy uh fantasy world. If you're curious about where I'm at in uh the fantasy league that we have, we have eight players in our fantasy league. Uh two of those others besides excuse me, besides me being uh Justin and Wyatt our other co-hosts I'm actually matched up with Justin this week and uh looks like I'm leading that matchup 992 to 881 total points which is something I need because I'm one and four so far in the league I have one of the worst records uh the only team that actually has the same one and four record is Justin's team that I'm playing so there's that your leaders are uh at four and one the Seattle Supersonics is the name of one of those. And the other is Luca this George. Um, so interesting names there. But uh yeah, it's actually a pretty even mix so far of you know each uh each conference, which has four teams, has a team that's four and one, a team that's three and two, a team that's two and three, and a team that's one and four. So pretty even distribution. But again, I'm hoping to to start turning things around. Um As far as my roster, I have made some moves. I recently picked up Jalen Johnson, but he, of course, is out with injury. So I did make a move to swap him out for Cole Anthony. He was actually dropped, and we'll talk Cole Anthony a little more in detail. Um, Outside of him, uh, Jalen Duran was an acquisition. Otherwise, my team has stayed pretty much the same. And I think what I'm going to do in the next week or so I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive in the trade market. I want to start analyzing the stats and see if I can come up with some trades that can help put me ahead. But uh, that's where my focus is at that point. With that, let's talk about some players that I think might be worth paying attention to. Um, We pick one riser, one faller, and one sleeper. Uh, Just a few players to watch for statistically in recent weeks compared to the season as a whole. We're going to start with Alprin Shangun. I picked him as a riser. Uh this last week, compared to the season, he averaged uh nearly four points per game more and uh one and a half rebounds more, uh a little more assists as well, point four assists. So not huge, but I love what Shangun has done. And the Rockets continue to kind of exceed expectations, and he just gets better and better. He's still a very young player. So so keep an eye on shangun Maybe make a move for him. You know, I like what he what he brings to the table, and especially in a uh situation fantasy specific but also a league in general where versatility is kind of the name of the game you know shangun is a, a Jokic, very light at this point you know scoring and rebounding but a good distributor and uh can shoot the three can do a lot of different things so look out for shangun a follower i went with paul george i mean of course i picked Kawhi in a recent week as well um, we know that i've had my doubts about the clippers as a whole his scoring was down this last week, uh, three and a half points. His steals were down big, but that was, you know, with steals, that's more often and more likely an outlier. His field goal percentage was down as well, which of course is going to be a correlation with the points more. So I think it's just important to watch for the Clippers as a whole, even as they get better, those stars, playing alongside each other, all of their production is going to have to be more spread out. And so again, just worth paying attention to that. And then again, with Cole Anthony, we're talking about our sleeper. He's the sleeper this past week. His scoring was up eight points and two assists were up. His assists were up by two compared to what he had done on the season as a whole field goal percentage up as well. He's emerging as the six man type figure for the magic. And especially as the magic are winning more and more, Definitely watch out for him. Uh, again, I made a move. I was lucky as I was getting our, our materials ready for tonight's podcast. Um, I saw, I got a notification that he was dropped by one of the other teams. And so I made an immediate move. Hey, I want to add him. And I he's immediately on the team, I guess, because he had been added uh, 24 hours or uh, less. You know, that was the time frame when he was added it was within the last day or not even quite a full day um because that was the time frame when he was added um he was dropped and able to be picked up that quickly i suppose that's how it works so so i've added Cole Anthony and again that's i'm hoping for my team the first of a few moves that i can start making to start turning this this team around you know i'm not off to a great start but i want to be in contention for the uh the championships, you know, that's what I'm fighting for. I'm also, of course, a little more focused on my football team anyways, where we're getting very close to the playoffs for fantasy football. But otherwise, there's some players to to be on the watch for with the, uh, the fantasy angle at this point, I suppose. Um, with that, let's also see if there's any predictions that we can follow up on. Uh, this is something we haven't done a ton of on our Friday episodes yet. Um, the Westbrook one for Wyatt might be a bit rough, but again, there's still time. Um, Kings might be rough as well. They've just been a little more inconsistent, and they're not quite – I don't think they're quite in that top group. Actually, let's take a look at where they're at standings-wise. I want to say they're certainly top eight. I think that's a pretty safe bet in the Western Conference. Yeah, sixth in the West at the moment. So just outside that top four picture, that was a prediction for me in week one. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies one, I think, you know, that one looks good. Scotty Barnes, that could be in the mix too. What was a recent prediction that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Um, the Thunder one is interesting, especially with the Josh Giddy incident. They're still number three right now, 12 and six. They haven't seemed to lose a ton of momentum as of yet with that whole situation, uh, but definitely worth watching. And then uh, that Pacers one. My prediction for the Pacers went being in the finals of the in-season tournament. That will be uh a week from today. That final game will be on uh well, a week from tomorrow, actually, December 9th. So definitely um it's gonna be exciting to watch. I'm looking forward to the finals of The in season tournament and the tournament as a whole, which will start next week. And with that, let's actually talk about our weekend forecast for you. All of the times that I'll give for these games are at Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you're planning your schedule. Saturday, we have a pretty fully loaded 12 game slate. Only one of those is a national broadcast that's on NBA TV at 10 o'clock. And you'll have the Sacramento Kings hosting the Denver Nuggets. That should be a pretty interesting matchup. Your remaining 11 games are as follows at four. The LA Clippers host the Golden State Warriors in their time zone. That's going to be pretty much a matinee Um, at five o'clock. The Charlotte Hornets host the Minnesota Timberwolves at seven, a couple of games. Firstly, the Cavaliers travel to Detroit to face the Pistons in your central division matchup as the Pistons try and get back in the win column. And then the Nets host the Magic. Uh, So that's another interesting one. And then if three games, eight, you have the Hawks at the Bucks again, your central division, the uh, Pelicans in Chicago against the Bulls, and then the Miami Heat hosting the Indiana Pacers, a rematch of that game from uh, just Thursday night. And then at nine, you have a couple of games. The Phoenix Suns host the Memphis Grizzlies, and then the Dallas Mavericks host the Oklahoma City Thunder. That should be a good game to watch out for if you have league pass at 9.30, the Utah Jazz host the Portland Trailblazers. They try and build some winning momentum. And then at 10.30, the Los Angeles Lakers host the Houston Rockets and Dylan Brooks Brooks and LeBron James. No matter the actual on-court product in terms of production, wins, losses, scoring, Um the the drawing potential and the showmanship between Dylan Brooks and LeBron James can always be interesting to watch out for. So uh, that's your Saturday slate. On Sunday, we have zero games. Nothing on Sunday, no national broadcasts, nothing, which then leads us to Monday. And again, that's the start of the in-season tournament. And with that, there's only two games and they're national broadcasts, a TNT double header starting at 7:30, your Eastern Conference quarterfinal your two three matchup the indiana pacers your two seed hosting the three seed boston celtics i'm looking forward to that that should be a great game i'm kind of rooting for the pacers but either way should be exciting and then at 10 o'clock your west quarterfinal your two three matchup there the sacramento kings host the new orleans pelicans um very intriguing matchup uh, especially with the king's and the pelicans both of them looking for consistency and of course uh they're not as high caliber as some of the other teams in this uh in this tournament but they're going to try and be a little more of a cinderella team see if they can make a run to the semis and the finals so both games should be very exciting and that is it for your weekend action and with that that's pretty much our show i'll go ahead and give you our this day in history fact before we wrap things up and uh Continuing with a the theme this week from our This Day in History facts of great players in a franchise's history. Uh, for today, we're going back to 1991, December 1st of 1991. Isaiah Thomas became Detroit's all-time leading scorer with 15,493 points after scoring a game-high 22 points in the Pistons' 94-87 to win over the Houston Rockets in the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit. Uh, Thomas passed previous leader, Bob Lanier on Detroit's all-time scoring chart. So again, Isaiah Thomas, hard to argue against him as the greatest player in Detroit Pistons history. And uh, he gets forgotten in the pantheon of great point guards and great players uh, in NBA's history. But uh, with that, that takes care of our show again. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with you on Monday for the start of again, a jam packed schedule and uh that should be it for us. Thanks again. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you then.